Are you someone who prides yourself on being self-reliant and doing things on your own? Do you get uncomfortable asking for help? If so, you are definitely not alone. Many of us struggle to ask for help because it makes us feel too vulnerable or even weak. But what if by not asking for help, you not only hurt yourself, but those who would otherwise help you? This week, I talk with Emmett Tompkinson, a member of our Leading Humans community who has an inspiring vision of our world as a collective that is clearly designed to balance asking for and giving help. We also discuss how you can get involved in this effort. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and as an executive coach and former high-tech leader, my personal mission is to help professionals overcome imposter syndrome so that you can advance your career with confidence. Each week, I interview a new guest who brings a powerful perspective to this conversation, including personal stories, best practices, and new insights. The more we talk about this issue, the more we destigmatize imposter syndrome, recognize that we're not alone, and empower ourselves to access the tools and resources that can help us and those around us. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing with others you think would benefit from this conversation. Welcome, Emmett. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I usually uh, only have the opportunity to talk to you in a group setting. So the, the chance to talk with you one on one is such a treat. And I'm thrilled that we're here today. And I'd love to start by inviting you to introduce yourself. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Um, I, I love our, you know, our, our discussions that we have every week. I feel like it's a great opportunity to get to know other people. And I always find those discussions to be so deep. But um, but yeah, I am originally from Utah. I now live in Seattle, um, but I was born and raised in the heart of Utah, Provo, Utah, which is just about an hour south of Salt Lake City. And I moved to Seattle when I was 33 years old, um, <laughs> kind of uh, jumping off of a cliff, knowing that I was going to be caught on the other side, sort of scenario where I. I just really felt compelled to to move here. And it's been the best thing I ever did. It's been fantastic. Um, I have been working in tech for about 12, 13 years now. Uh, I got my start in like tech support and learned pretty quickly that I was really good at it and that I really enjoy helping people. And like, that's what lights me up. That's what sparks me is if I can help somebody, that just makes me so happy. And so I've pursued that kind of path, uh, gone around a few different ways. I was in um, like cybersecurity for a short period of time, and then I shifted towards software. So, um, so I now work for VMware, which is how I became acquainted with with you through one of their webinars. And um, I work as I'm like a very high touch customer success um, touch point. So it's my job to help customers ensure that they're getting value from our from our products. So so that's that's me in a in a nutshell. Also um, of note is that I do belong to the LGBTQ community. Um, I came out of the closet as lesbian when I was 30 years old. 
Um, and then I actually came out as trans just earlier this summer. Uh, so I am in the process right now of transitioning. Uh, so yeah, that's been a pretty big life change <laughs> for me. Uh, but so far it's been going really well. So, And I am so grateful to you for sharing that. And I'm curious because when we think about imposter syndrome, we tend to think about that feeling of being a fraud. But I think that when you think about gender identity there's a whole other level of imposterism when like i can imagine when you're thinking about like not feeling like you are in the the gender i don't even know what language to use here but like can you talk a little bit about what that decision process looked like for you and like how has it how has it been for you and this journey particularly over the past year or so yeah, definitely. It's interesting because I think I just got, I, there was a lot of um, conditioning going on in my brain in regards to being a woman um, and fitting into that role, um, kind of convincing myself that I was comfortable in that body when in, in reality, I wasn't. Um, so I never like at, at a conscious level, I never felt like I was an imposter, uh, living, living life as a woman. I did feel at a very young age, like five years old, four years old, uh, like there was a mistake. I was in the wrong body, like, like, I, and I put it like that plainly, like talking to my mom one day, right? And I was so young and, you know, being in the religious environment that I was raised in, it just wasn't even acceptable for me to, for, you know, transitioning just was not, um, not something that was acceptable. And so I learned that at a really young age and I just buried it really, really deeply, um, you know, pretty much as soon as I expressed curiosity about it, I was told that it really wasn't an option. And, and, and I was so young, you know, it really was just kind of a, a curious, curious question. And, uh, but I buried my, my transgender identity even deeper than I did my, the fact, the fact that I'm, that I was attracted to someone of the same gender. Right. So I, you know, it was 12 years between the time that I came out of the closet the first time to the time I came out of the closet the second time. Um, and uh, the, the process of actually coming to the place where I was ready to come out as trans, it all came about because I, over the last year, I've been, I've, I've been on a journey of really changing my thoughts and as a result of changing my thoughts, I've been able to change my life. So like, I just, I stopped saying should, and I started saying could instead. And that just opened up this world of possibilities and of listening to myself, like really checking in with my heart and letting go of all of the pressure and all the expectations that were put on me and just, 
figuring out what did I want. And, and that helped me get in touch with my body. <laughs> and as the process of getting in touch with my body, my body was like, Hey, I'm trans. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and it, and I had thought about it, you know, in the past, but I was just so scared of it and so scared of, of, of the implications of that, of like losing my connection with my family and all sorts of stuff. But, but it's all worked out. Like, it's just, it's interesting how it was just kind of a snowball effect just by changing my thoughts. I was able to eventually come out as trans. Like, it's really interesting. Yeah. So I think so much about psychological safety when I think about everything. And, and, and I tend to focus on the workplace because that's where I do most of my work, but I'm just thinking about your journey and what you're describing, especially when you talked about the fear of what it would do to your relationships with your family. And we are in a, a, a political climate right now that has villainized mm-hmm. the trans community in just really horrific ways. And so how do you think about your own safety as you navigate these different aspects of your life, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's the larger community? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was, when I was deciding to come out, when I was deciding to tell my family about this and to tell everybody about this, I just, I remember someone saying at some point somewhere, like, you need to do what, what is right for you. Like, like, this is your life to live. And, um, staying uh sticking to your truth is what is going to bring you the greatest degree of happiness in your life and it's a really simple concept but it was very important for me to realize like this is your life to live and that in and of itself has helped me be psychologically safe in this decision mm-hmm. because i knew that i was doing this for me like this is what my soul needed and um I, I luckily I live in Seattle (laughs) where it's so um, widely accepted and there are gender neutral bathrooms all over the place. And it's, it's, it's a very, very accepting part of the world. And I will not deny that. Um, And um, it's difficult to know that there are so many injustices happening in other in other parts of the world. And I'm still in the process of learning about those things and learning about how, how I might be able to make a difference. And I don't know yet, but, um, but I do feel for my trans, you know, siblings Mm -hmm. who are living in places like Florida or Texas or other places where it's just not, not safe for them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you're in a in a safe place, you know, generally speaking. And, you know, what, one of the things that's so clear to me from the conversations we have every week in the Leading Humans group is just how thoughtful you are about humanity and life. And I just wonder, how do you how do you find time to reflect? Because so many people are so busy and there's just so I, I find that that often feels either too scary to do to really just kind of have that connection to your thoughts 
or we find reasons not to because we're just so busy and we've got so many other things that we're thinking about. Like, do you do you have a recognizable sort of process for reflecting and for staying so introspective, or does it just kind of happen naturally? Honestly, it just kind of happens naturally. Um, I I think that's actually something that I can thank my religious upbringing for because I was taught from a very young age to pray often and to follow, like follow the promptings from a higher power very closely. And so I definitely believe that there are good things that can come from any religion. And so I'm grateful for the, for that, because I think it has, it it actually did teach me like to, take time when you're making decisions and like really listen to yourself and, and take, take a moment. And it, and it allowed, it gave me the opportunity to to hone that skill. And does it, like, how do you manage the, and I don't want to put words in your mouth because I may just be projecting. <laughs> I'm thinking if I gave myself the space to think like that, I might, overwhelm myself because I have a lot of anxiety. I'm somebody who, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, I probably do things I don't even realize to quiet my thoughts. Like I am constantly in a state of, like I'm always listening to podcasts or even if I walk from one room to the next, I'm like turning on my podcast. I'm like never at peace, never mm-hmm. in sort of this quiet space mm-hmm. with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so is it a peaceful place for you? Like, do you feel like not always <laughs> not always i overthink things all the time i i will get lost in my head i will i i have anxiety sometimes as well and i i sometimes i <clears throat> i i go in i i start to go introspectively and i just go a little bit too deep and it can lead to these places of like depression or hopelessness or things like that. So, but I, but, but I think, Kim, one of the things that we've talked about before in our group is finding our strengths, Mm -hmm. recognizing our strengths, right. And recognizing that every person has different strengths. We're all part of this giant collective. And one of the, um, one of the personality profile types that I ascribe to is called human design. And I won't go into the details during this, during this podcast episode, if people want to look it up, they can, but my personality type in human design is the personality type that relies on their gut for yes or no answers throughout their life. That is a gift that I have been given. And it's part of my design that I, that I'm I'm able to do that. My wife cannot. My wife is um she relies on talking things through. So in order for her to know whether something is right or wrong in her life, she needs to talk about it with a handful of people and hear words coming out of her mouth and then through that process she's able to know whether or not. So we all have these different personality types and your, you know, 
your abilities or inabilities to like be quiet or introspective might not be a good thing or a bad thing, right? It's obviously you are doing amazing things in this world. So (laughs) I'm not about to tell you that you need to hone those skills, right? We all have our strengths and it's, it's important to recognize those strengths. I so appreciate that perspective because as we've talked about in those conversations, it's so easy to beat yourself up over the things that you don't do or that you think Mm -hmm. you don't do well enough. And there's a place for, for all of it. And I think I definitely identify with the way you described your wife. I'm a verbal processor. I like to get out. And so it's probably very consistent with um, what we're talking about. And so, you know, I, I think if, it, for me, one of the things is people always talk about you know, meditation and quieting your mind. And yes, I have struggled with a lot of anxiety over the years, but I don't feel like my way of doing things is broken. I don't feel like it's disruptive. Maybe it is in ways that I haven't recognized yet, but I think that's where I've been coming on my journey is to, to stop trying to fix the things that aren't broken, you know, to stop trying, trying to beat myself up over the things that maybe I do differently, but it works. It works for me. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, and it's, we're, we're, we are a giant machine with um, a lot of different parts that all do different things. And uh, to say that one person's ability to meditate and stop and, and think about things in that way is like the only way to do things. Um, that's just not true. We, we all, we all have that. There's like a, you, you find a balance within yourself of like all of the different things. And if you're always defaulting to the same mode, every time you have to do something, you're going to lose out on other ways of doing things in your life. So it's important to find that, that balance and build skills. You can always take your primary skill that you're strong at and figure out how can I use this strength to build strength in another area in my life. Well, and I really want to pause on what you just said too about it being a giant machine and this this um, sort of collective language that you've been using because that is something that I'm so fascinated by whenever you talk about how you see the world and the the interconnections among people. And can you share a little bit more about? Uh, I know it's probably hard to answer in a, in a just a brief response to this question, but but. What is that vision that you have of humanity as this collective? Yeah, so I'm going to tell a really quick story. Um, There's a spot that my wife and I really like to go to. It's on an island that's in the Puget Sound. And it's just this house that's surrounded by a forest. Um, And there's just some great like healing energy that's there. And a couple of years ago, during one of our stays there, I just had this overwhelming um, realization while I was there that everything in this world is connected energetically. Like we all, like energy flows in and out of us. And, you know, this is Emmett's woo-woo moment happening right now. But um, like we're we're all connected in some way. We're connected to to nature around us and we're connected to each other and... Um, what happens in my life impacts your life. So that I had that realization. And then over the last like year, I, I, I remember it was several months ago. I, I had this 
picture in my head where I realized that we are all individual puzzle pieces in this world. And as such, we all have like, we have gaps and we have a little knobs that come off of puzzle pieces, right? And the cool thing is that we all fit together. So in an area in my life where I am lacking, you have excess. And if we can find a way to fit those two pieces together, then we can really help each other. And not only is it filling the gap for someone else when that connection happens, but it's also helping the person with the knob. It's helping them realize their full potential because there's a reason why they have that. There's like, it's actually a really good thing to be able to bring bring those two things together because you're helping both of those people live a more full life. I so love and appreciate that perspective. And I think that one of the challenges, and this is probably a very American thing, it's not necessarily true for, for other cultures, is just how much we emphasize individualism in, in this country mm-hmm. in particular. And this sort of pressure that so many of us feel, whether it comes from this achievement orientation or perfectionism, whatever the case may be, is like, I'm not good enough the way I am. I need to do everything myself. I need to do more and I have to be go broad and deep. And like, it's, it's a weakness for me to depend on other people in some way. Um, And so I wonder, here, there's no easy answer to this question, but I wonder how you think about how do we get more comfortable as pieces in that puzzle with the idea that it's not weak to actually be, uh, to ask for that support or to take, take the excess from somebody else, but that it's actually feeding the health of the system that you're. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, asking for help is whether it's coming from a place of um, insecurity or a place of pride, it's hard to do. Um, and and I agree. I hear you. There's this like concept of like I gotta I gotta do it all on my own, especially as as women, as you know, someone who did live my life as a woman for such a long time, like there's just this concept of like, I got to go, go, go. And I got to make sure that, you know, that I'm not reliant on other people in my life in order to get things done. And um, <clears throat> it's, I would, I would just, I would go back to that concept that by you asking for help, you're helping someone else. and. I actually think it's a sign of weakness if you don't ask for help because there's there's no way for anybody in anybody in this world to survive if you don't get help from someone else at some point in your life. Like it's literally impossible. We we cannot function on an island <laughs> from the you know from the moment that we're that we're born. Um so 
we really need each other. And it's, it's a sign of strength. And I think on your resume, it's a big sign of strength. If you show, I collaborated with this team in order to get this done. And I, it, teamwork, <laughs> working with your colleagues, as someone who's sat in on many interviews, <laughs> um, showing that you know how to work with other people in order to get the job done is like really important. Mm. I think that's a really good way to think about it too, because there are ways, like you said, none of us is an island. And so we're all benefiting from the support of other people, but there are times when we don't realize that. And so there are these moments when we have to deliberately ask for help that feel like a, uh, like a, sign of weakness or, um, you know, this big vulnerable moment. But I think that just really reorienting our minds towards this notion of teamwork is really helpful. Like I, I'll often say when talking to people about the, the workplace that work is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. But I think many of us show up as almost, and I've never played sports, so I'm terrible with sports analogies, <laughs> but we try to be, you know, the pitcher and the catcher and every, every, every player on the team, as opposed to saying, this is my role on the team. Thank God you're there. So I don't have to worry about catching. right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And really not seeing it as, oh, I'm not good enough because I don't have this, but I have this piece and you have this piece. And, and that makes us stronger because we can all work together. Mm-hmm. 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 And I would just like to acknowledge <laughs> the impact that COVID and the remote workplace has had on this equation, right? It really requires, as someone who has been, I now work from home full time, and um, it requires a whole new level of learning how to reach outside of yourself in order to get help. Like, but this is kind of the new normal, And so I think we're going to see a lot of people learning that skill, learning how to ask for help and when to ask for help. When do I know like, okay, I've done everything that I can and now it's time to ask for for some assistance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point too. Cause I think there is this absence now of visual cues and sort of the the Mm -hmm. feedback that we would get used to having. And now it becomes that much more of a high pressure situation to say, okay, how is my ask justified? Have I done enough legwork? Like would someone else ask for help at this point, right? There's just so much of this uncertainty that creates this anxiety. Yeah. Well, and one rule of thumb that I've learned to adopt, which my boss actually helped me with is spend 30 minutes on it. If you've spent 30 minutes and you and you're not, you're not getting anywhere and you feel like you're spending your wills, go ahead and ask for help. You know, that way you've, you've done what you could, at least, at least for the, the problems I'm, I'm working on. It might be different if, you, if you're in a different role, um, but find a period of time and then go ahead and follow that as your, as your role, you know? I really like that because I'm uh, someone who often advocates for perfectionism timers too. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar in that if you have 
been agonizing over your email for more than 15 minutes, you're getting no additional return on that investment, right? <laughs> Set those <laughs> limits because you're you're just making your own life harder and you're not actually increasing the quality of the product. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I needed that lesson for sure. <laughs> uh, so are you in a place where, and you can come back again in the future, if not today, um, where you're comfortable sort of sharing your vision for what you've been thinking about in terms of how to create a, a, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth again, but you know, sort yeah. of helping vision that you've mm-hmm. started to think about. Absolutely. So I really felt compelled to start some sort of initiative where through online forums or an app or something, uh, we can start helping people help each other. So, um, you know, we might just start out with a Slack channel, but when you need help with something, you reach out on that channel and say, you know, whatever is easy, whatever it is you need help with. And then someone can respond and say, I've, I've got excess, you know, I've, I'm ready. I'm your puzzle piece. I've got the knob. I'm ready, ready to go and help you fulfill whatever it is that you need help with and then just helping connect those two people I'm the type of person who like I I I I struggle with black and white thinking so when I first had this idea I was like gotta go 100% gotta build an app gotta build a website gotta do all these things and then I was like maybe I can just start small and just start with a slack channel and uh and then eventually I would just love to have an organization some sort of, you know, being on, on various platforms, connecting people and at a local level, at a global level, um, just helping people find the help that they need. So I think we're going to go ahead and like roll out a Slack channel and then see where we go from, from there on your, uh, on your Slack domain. So anybody who's part of that domain keep an eye out for for that but yeah that was kind of my my vision but I'd love any questions that you have to kind of flesh it out a little bit more yeah I just I love I I love the vision and I think one of the things that you and I started to talk about really briefly too is even just being able to spell out some examples of what help looks like because I think that for some people they haven't allowed themselves to ask for help in a long time and they don't even know what help might look like. And so, mm. um, you know, we have certain ideas about what help might be, but there are a lot of different types of help. And so to just be able to articulate, here's some, here's some possibilities that you might want to think about. Yeah, definitely. So a few different ideas, um, like, um, Hey, I'm I'm trying to work through some interpersonal conflict at work, and I need to talk with this person about some things that they've said that have really bothered me. But I'm not sure how to have that conversation. Is there someone out there who would be willing to like hop on a Zoom call with me and talk through this with me and help me practice? Like that would be an ask. Um, another ask could be. Like, and this is at the, like the global level, but hey, it's the middle of the winter here in Seattle and it's really dark. And I would love to have 
a chat with someone in Australia every week so that you can share some of your sunshine with me, right? Um, something like that. Or like eventually if we were at like a, like a local level, it could be someone saying, um, I was having trouble getting my car to start this morning and I'm not sure what's going on. Is there, you know, someone in the area who's familiar with cars who could maybe help me take a look, you know? And it really would be a matter of like finding people who are, who wouldn't take advantage of the system and wouldn't take advantage of each other. We certainly don't want people to be losing out on the ability to support their lives and their business because of this community. Um, but so often people are looking for ways that they can serve other people. Um, you know, and maybe you have a neighbor down the street who isn't a professional mechanic, but they know about cars and they'd be happy to come over and help you take a look. But, um, but as far as like the Slack channel, just kind of kicking things off, I think, you know, interpersonal advice or, um, Hey, is there someone out there who would take just a quick glance at my resume and let me know if you see any typos, um, or anybody out there, I've got a big interview coming up and I, I would love to have a little bit of practice, something like that, you know, just like little asks here and there, understanding that there are some people who do these types of services for a career for, you know, for their living. Um, and, but I think giving a little bit here and there is, is feasible. Absolutely. And one of the things I love about that concept too, is that it gives visibility to the asking for help process, because that's often a private thing. It's not, we don't often see somebody asking somebody for help on something. And so we don't realize how quote unquote normal that is to do. Right. So we feel like, oh, everyone else is handling this just fine. Everyone else has it figured out. So it must be my problem that I can't do this myself, as opposed to being able to normalize that experience and say, oh, look at how many people are asking for help or offering to help or whatever the case may be. Maybe it isn't such a bad idea for me to ask. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's go. I mean, I will raise my hand right now and say, I will be the first person who asks for help in this forum. Because Lately, my ADHD has been like really, really a big struggle for me. And I would love to connect with someone who also has ADHD and learn about what are some coping techniques and strategies that you use. Like that'll be my first ask. And hopefully someone out there will feel comfortable. Maybe they're not comfortable in the public forum saying like, hey, me, but they could DM me and say, hey, let's chat, you know? So, um, so yeah. Love it. Yeah, and you're right. That's the beauty of Slack too, is that you can engage publicly or privately. So mm-hmm. you can protect your own confidentiality if you want to. I yeah. Love it. I think that's so great. And so we're absolutely going to share more about this as we move forward. And for those of you who are interested in learning more, uh, where can people find you, Emmett? Yeah, definitely. Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn, Emmett Tomkinson. You're welcome to just put my whole name in the podcast description there. Um, and I can I can give you a, a link to my LinkedIn as well. But feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and then Kim will be sending out some communication as well about, you know, once we kind of get this ball rolling about, about the initiative. So, yep. 
Yeah. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, just we're all in this together. So let's, let's help each other out. Love it. I'm excited for the helping revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Emmett. Thanks, Kim. It was great chatting with you. Thanks so much for listening to The Imposter Syndrome Files. If you would like to continue this conversation in a safe and trusted space, I would love for you to join my virtual discussion group every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. For the past several years, the group has been limited to women, but it is now open, regardless of gender, to anyone who is interested in exploring and troubleshooting common workplace challenges, building better awareness of ourselves and others, and becoming more inclusive allies at work. Check out the show notes for more info on how to find us. And please join us next week for another episode of The Imposter Syndrome Files.